Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Missed. All right, so the older I, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize how quickly life passes by. You know, I, as I look at back at my own life, it's hard to believe I'm already, because I'm a, I'm a person who's young at heart, I can't believe I'm already in my early 50s. Now I'm holding on to that phrase, early 50s, because really soon it's gonna be mid 50s, and early 50s sounds a lot better than your mid 50s. And it seems like, man, everything's going so quick, it's hard to believe that over 36 years ago, I met the Lord Jesus Christ and he saved me from my sins. I can't believe over 31 years ago, I got to marry the love of my life, Stacy. You know, it's hard to believe that all the awesome years, and they were awesome, all the awesome years that we spent raising our three daughters, those years are long gone. My wife and I will be empty nesters as of next month for four years already. It's like, where, when did that happen, right? And so, no more kids in the house, no more dogs, no more cats, no more birds, no more hamsters, right? We miss the kids, but we don't miss all those animals, and it's just me and my wife now for four years. What's most shocking of all is I can't believe we already have five grandchildren. It's like, how did that happen, and how did that happen you know, so fast? Time is flying by, and I know the closer I, I the older I get, man, the closer I get to eternity. And it's the same with all of you. The older you get, the closer you get to eternity. And so in our passage today, James is gonna make a very profound statement. He's gonna say this. What is your life? For you are a, shut off the next word, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, poof, gone. Now the Greek word mist it's not the easiest word to translate from the Greek into the English, but we can be very certain about the general idea of the word. So if you have the ESV, it's mist. If you have the New King James Version, that Greek word is translated vapor. If you have the New English Translation, it's translated puff of smoke. And if you have the New Living Translation, it's translated the morning fog, all right? So whether you're talking about a mist, whether you're talking about a vapor, whether you're talking about a puff of smoke, or whether you're talking about the morning fog, what all those things have in common is that they're transitory in their nature. They appear for a little while, and then poof, they're gone. And James says, ladies and gentlemen, that that's what our lives are like. We're here today, and seemingly we're gone Tomorrow. So my favorite way to translate or to describe this Greek word that we translate mist, my favorite way to describe it is that it's like our breath on a cold day. Now I, I know we Floridians don't get to experience that very often, and I know that we love it whenever we do. You know, after a very long, hot, humid summer, we so look forward, right, to the few months out of the year where we get to enjoy some cooler weather and even those intermittent days, every once in a while, I think there's probably six during the year, where we go outside in the morning and we see our breath, right? And some of us get so excited about it. You know, it's like, hey, 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 look. <sighs> you see, my breath, right? And the northerners are like, what's the big deal? We see our breath for five or six months a year. That's why we're all down here in Florida. 
clogging up St. Lucie West Boulevard during the baseball season, right? What do we know about our breath on a cold day? Here's what we know. It appears for a second, then it's gone. James says, that's what your life is like. You're here today, seemingly gone tomorrow. The psalmist in Psalm 102 verse 11 says, and I quote, my life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. All right, so imagine the sun is setting, right? And then there's the shadow, it's getting longer and longer and longer and longer, then the sun sets, what happens to the shadow? It disappears. We live our lives, 20, 40, 60, 80, whatever years, longer, 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 but then what happens? We disappear as far as life on this present earth. The psalmist in Psalm 78, 39, he likens our lives to a passing breeze that doesn't return. So you walk out on a, on a warm day and all of a sudden out of nowhere you've experienced this, a cool wind, like where did that come from? That felt good, but then it's gone. And the psalmist said that's what life is like, life is short. And somebody says, well not that short, right? My grandma lived till 100 years old. Let me tell you something, that's nothing compared to eternity. 100 years old is nothing. I don't care whether you live 20, 40, 60, 80, or 100 years, none of that is anything compared to eternity. So because our lives are so short, what should we do? Well, the wisest and best thing that we should do is live our lives for Jesus Christ. With everything we got. Because ladies and gentlemen, here's what I know. Sooner than you think, you're gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're gonna get an account of your life. And the wood, hay, stubble, or the gold, precious stones, or silver is gonna go through that fire and you're gonna be rewarded or not rewarded based on how you lived for Jesus Christ. What should we do? Well, as the missionary to China, C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And he believed that with all his heart, so what did he do? He went to China and he poured out his life trying to reach people who needed Jesus and his blood to wash away their sins. And so since our lives will soon be passed, what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna extract three principles from our passage today that'll help us live for Christ. And then toward the end of the message, like I've already told you, we're gonna go back over to Luke 12 and we're gonna learn a couple lessons from the parable of the rich fool. All right, so right now, whether you're in the building or watching from your living room, if you're looking at James chapter four and verse 11, please say amen. Okay, so follow along verse by verse. James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against, look at this, the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? All right, and so since life is a mist, the first thing that we must do is we must learn to live a life of love and not judgment. Live a life of love and not judgment. 
And so in verse 11, James tells the people, his readers in the first century, but man, I'm telling you what, he's an apostle, he speaks with authority, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so this is applicable for all of us for the last 2,000 years. He tells us not to speak evil against one another and not to judge our brother. All right, so what does this all mean in the original language? Well, to speak evil of someone means to, to talk down to them, to speak to them in a demeaning way, in a derogatory way. The attitude of somebody who speaks evil against somebody else is, I don't like you, I feel like I'm above you, and so I'm gonna speak down to you, put you in your place, I'm gonna say demeaning things about you. That's what it means in the original, speaking evil of someone. But what about the word judge? Because James says also, don't judge your brother. What's the idea there in the original? The idea has to do with criticizing somebody. The attitude there is that I'm going to tear you down through fault finding and nitpicking and criticizing. Now I gotta give you a quick clarification because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what does the New Testament mean when it says don't judge. All right, so when James tells us not to judge our brother, he isn't, if you're with me, say amen here. Don't let your mind wander. You gotta hear this. It's gonna help you right now. When James says don't judge your brother, he isn't saying that we should never correct them. Right, have you ever corrected somebody and they get an attitude like, well, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Judge not that you be not judged. Right? And so, man, they've misunderstood what the Bible says. When James talks about not judging others, he's not talking about correcting them in order to help them. He's talking about criticizing them in order to bring them down. That's what he's talking about. In other words, there's a godly judging and correcting, and there's an ungodly judging and correcting. The godly judging and correcting is when you correct somebody in order to build them up for their good. The ungodly, like James is saying here, the ungodly judging and correcting is when through criticism and fault finding you tear somebody down to harm them. If you see the difference, please say amen. Okay, and so if James is saying never correct somebody when he says don't judge. If he's saying never correct anybody, then he's the biggest sinner of all. I mean, what's he doing on every single page since we started the study of this book? Correction, 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 correction. And so don't let the culture say, don't judge me. No, you're misunderstanding what the Bible is saying. And so James says don't do that. Don't speak evil against and don't judge others because if you do, verse 11, you're speaking evil of the law and you're judging the law. All right, so what law? The law that he already spoke of earlier in the letter. You see, earlier in his letter, this is what James wrote. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall, shout out the next word, love your neighbor, as yourself, you're doing well. All right, so I really, really want you to understand this passage and what he's meaning here. Listen, when, when we go to the scriptures, 
we can't just make it say whatever we want it to say. We gotta find out what's the intent of the author. What was James saying? Because that's what the Holy Spirit inspired. So when he says, don't speak evil of people, he's saying, don't show them contempt. When he says, don't judge people, he's saying, don't criticize them. Because if you do that, at the same time, whether you know it or not, you're showing contempt and you're criticizing that law right there, the royal law, the royal law of love. You see, this is how it works. God says to all of us, love your neighbor as yourself. And we look at God and we say, uh-uh, I'm not gonna do that. This person hurt me, therefore I'm gonna hurt them back. And so what have we done? What we've done, sorry to do this, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but if that's the royal law of love, when we say, no, I'm gonna hurt that person because they hurt me, right now we're putting ourselves in a position above the royal law of love. We're saying, I'm a judge, I'm a critic, I demean it, I utterly disregard what God is saying. And that's why James says, when you speak evil of and you show contempt for and you criticize your brother or your sister, you're doing that to God's word. Does that make sense? Don't be arrogant. Don't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, all of God's moral laws apply to us. Every single one of them. And the greatest two is love, your neighbor, is love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, how many of you guys really believe that we shouldn't just be hearers of the word but doers of the word? How many of you guys really believe that we shouldn't just come in once a week, sit in a row, listen to a sermon, nice, nice sermon pastor, and then leave unchanged, right? Don't just go to church, be the church. Apply this stuff. That's when you're gonna be set free not just coming and sitting and listening because someone drug you to church, but your heart is humble and your heart is open and you're, you're listening and you're wanting to be a lifelong follower of Christ. Okay, and so here's my challenge to all of you. Spend a few minutes today and answer this question. What are some practical ways I can love others as I love myself? Ask yourself that question. Don't just hear the sermon and go home. Ask yourself, all right, what are some ways, practical ways, I can start loving my neighbor as myself? Write those things down. You can do this on your own. You can do this better with your Calvary group. And if you need some ideas, go to our Hope for PSL um, button on our website. Click it. We'll give you some good ideas right there on our website. My Calvary group, I love my Calvary group. Um, we, we started... Um, going to Graceway Village. We've been going to Graceway Village up in Fort Pierce. And what we're doing is we're packing meals for those who are hungry, for those who are in need. The last time our group went there, we got to not just pack the meals, we got to distribute the meals. And so we drove our cars up into Fort Pierce, some, some neighborhood in the middle of Fort Pierce. We got out, and ladies and gentlemen, as I carried those bags filled with these meals and I'm walking down that street in Fort Pierce, I felt the joy and the peace and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so did my group, why? Because we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're not just sitting in a row hearing another nice sermon, we're going out and we're doing the work. 
And so my question to you is, are you under a cloud of discouragement? You got this looming depression over your head? Go to Graceway Village and pack some meals for some hungry people. Go tell them about Jesus. And what you'll see is that cloud will be lifted away. Look at verse 13. He says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. By the way, this, this is so indicative of the American spirit and it's so wrong. Verse 14, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist, a vapor, a puff of smoke. <laughs> You're like a morning fog. You appear for a little while and then you vanish away. And so since life is a mist, the second thing that we got to do is we got to live in the light of eternity. Live in the light of eternity. Don't just be focused on this life, this little life of 20, 40, 60, 80, or 100 years. No, start living your life like, man, eternity is coming, and that's forever, and I need to get ready. And so James pictures the, 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 the person who plans for their future with such confidence. I'm going to a certain city. I'm gonna spend a year there, right? I'm gonna make a profit. And how does James reply to that attitude? He says in verse 14, please look at it, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James is saying in essence, how in the world can you plan out an entire year when you don't even know what tomorrow's gonna be like? You're a mist. You may not make it till tomorrow. Solomon wrote something very similar in Proverbs 27.1. He said, do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring. Isn't that the truth? Why are we boasting about tomorrow when we don't even know if we have tomorrow? We may not make it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Association for Safe International Road Tri Travel says this, more than 38,000 people die every year in crashes in US roadways. Road crashes are the leading cause of death in the US for people aged one to 54. And I guarantee you that none of the 38,000 people who die every year in America in a road crash wake up the morning of their car accident and think, today is my last day on earth. Today's the day I'm gonna be whisked out into eternity. And yet it happens. And ladies and gentlemen, it's gonna happen to us either by a car crash or some other way, and so we've got to be prepared. Listen to the heart of your pastor. You've got to be prepared. Everybody who's watching from home right now, you've got to be prepared for this. It's going to happen. Stop living a selfish, self-centered life where you're focused only on yourself and everything that you want to do. Eternity is coming. 
And the first thing you gotta do to get ready is you've got to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and receive the free gift of salvation and get right with God. Because if, that is, if that's not part of your life, when you die like the rich man in Luke 16, you will lift up your eyes in hell and you will be in torments. And by that time, there's no second chances. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his all for you. He came to this world to save you. Don't reject him. Accept him. Receive the free gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then after you're saved, then get baptized and start living for the Lord. Then after you're saved, then start living life to its fullest. How? By focusing on what is important. Focus on what's important. And so I want you to answer this question in your heart. If you knew you had one month to live, and by the way, I'm a pastor. When I was the care pastor at Calvary Jupiter, I did this all the time. Now that I'm a lead pastor, we have a care pastor who does it more than I do, but I still, every once in a while, I'll go and I'll make visits. And people are right there, close to eternity. And whenever I make those visits, it's a fresh reminder everything I'm saying to you today. And so answer this question. If you had one month to live, what would you do? If the doctor told you tomorrow you have one month to live, what would you do? And so whatever you're thinking of right now, if it lines up with scripture, why don't you start doing that today? Look at verse 15. So instead, instead of boasting about tomorrow, you ought to say, look at this, if the Lord wills. And by the way, don't just say that as a cliche. Lots of Christians kind of use that as an empty cliche because they know about this verse. But no, no, mean it in your heart. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live <laughs> and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I told you James doesn't pull punches. Then he says in verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do, that's the Lord's will, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so since life is a mist, the third thing that we've got to do is we gotta live a life of obedience to God's will. Live a life of obedience to God's will. Again, James pictures this person who's so confident about himself or herself, so confident about the future, right? And, and they're saying, I'm gonna go to a certain city. Okay, so what are they actually saying? What they're actually saying is, I'm gonna live wherever I wanna live. I'm gonna spend a year there. What are they really saying? I'll spend my time however I wanna spend my time. Don't tell me what to do. And I'm gonna make a profit. What are they saying? I'm gonna dictate the outcome of my life. Wow, how, how arrogant is that? Who does this person think they are, God? Well, actually, they're acting like they're God because they've assumed the position of Lord of their lives, making all of these decisions and what's James' reply to this attitude? Again, in verse 15, 
No, 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 he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now again, quick clarification, just like I had to give a quick clarification on the word judging, I gotta give a quick clarification here, and that is, is there anything wrong with planning? And the answer is no. It is wise to plan for the future. Just ask Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer. Artaxerxes, who was the premier power of that day, had this cupbearer, his name was Nehemiah, a guy, a guy who loved Yahweh God. And what happened was, he received the news that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, he loved Jerusalem, and so what did he do? He made detailed plans to travel from Persia, where he was the king's cupbearer, all the way over to Judah in order to rebuild those walls. And ladies and gentlemen, there was a lot of planning in the trip, which was very long, in getting all the provisions, in rebuilding those walls with enemies coming at you. There was a ton of planning. But what did Nehemiah have forefront in his mind during the whole process? What was forefront in Nehemiah's mind as he's planning is God and God's will. And that's why when he first heard the sad news about the sad condition of his beloved city, Jerusalem, what did he do? The first thing he did, I think it's in chapter one, you can read it later, is he fasted and prayed. Fasted and prayed, God, what do you want me to do? And then when Artaxerxes found out about it and he wanted to know what Nehemiah wanted to do about the situation, the Bible says, Nehemiah says this, he goes, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Listen, Nehemiah first prayed and then he planned. The, the arrogant guy in James 4.13, he planned and he never prayed. Instead of asking the Lord, should I go to a certain city? Should I spend a year there? Should I trade and set up my business there? He chose to move forward on his own and that is not smart. Instead of trusting God, he trusted in his ingenuity, his skill, his intelligence, his business savvy, and he didn't consult the Lord. That's not smart, okay? And so again, should we plan? Yes, we should plan, but we should plan with an open Bible and a heart submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what's smart. What's smart is we should take Solomon's advice who said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all, can you guys say the word all? All. All your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. All right, and so since life is a mist, what should we do? Number one, live a life of love, not judgment. Number two, live in the light of eternity. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. And number three, live a life of obedience to God's will. Now Jesus told a parable about a rich guy who did just the opposite of all three of those things. So we're done in James. Turn left now to Luke chapter 12. And let's read about this parable of the rich fool. Luke chapter 12, we're gonna start in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, as if Jesus didn't have enough on his plate. Take care of this situation for me. And Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
But I love, I love how the Lord always uses situations as teaching moments. By the way, parents, this is what you do, do for your kids all day long, all through the week. Use different situations as teaching moments for them. And so in verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. By the way, you know it's a bad day when God calls you a fool. Fool. And by the way, depending on how some people decide about this message will determine if God calls you a fool or not later down the road. Fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right, so this rich man made a lot of blunders. For sake of time, we're just gonna look at two blunders. The first blunder that we see, if you're taking notes, is that he missed what is truly important in life. Totally missed it. And I just wonder how many people in America, around the world, live their entire lives, and ladies and gentlemen, they totally miss what's important in life. And so instead of the rich man going to the scriptures and finding out what God thinks is most important, he looked at his bank account, he looked at his wealth. And that's what he said, this is what's important. And how do we know that? Because he had a bumper crop that, that, that season and, and his barn was filled already with crops. And so, man, look at this crop. I don't have any room for this. What am I gonna do? I know, I'll tear down these little barns and I'll make bigger barns and I'll gather everything in all for me. But what did Jesus say right before he told the parable? Please look again in verse 15. Verse 15. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Ladies and gentlemen, what's truly important in life? Not our possessions, but having the right priorities. Priorities such as this, our Lord. <laughs> By the way, he always gets first place. Our Lord, our family, our calling, our local church, now, of course, there's other priorities in life, but these are some of the big ones. And so I've gotta ask you today, how's your relationship with the Lord? I'm not talking, Christian, about your position in Christ. Set that to the side for a moment. What I'm talking about is your fellowship with the Lord Jesus. How is that today? Have you put him on the back burner, or is he number one in your life? How's your relationship with your family? 
Are you loving them? Are you honoring them? Are you blessing them? Are you pouring yourself into them? Life is short. How about your calling? Now obviously, this is our calling. <laughs> it's all right here. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can live out the word of God, but I'm talking about your specific calling. Do you know what your specific calling is in life? Maybe God's called you to be a doctor. Maybe he's called you to be a nurse. Maybe he's called you to be a teacher or an accountant or a firefighter or a police officer or a missionary or a pastor. Are you doing what God has called you to do? Or are you at least preparing for it? Are you going in that direction? And then what about the church? Since the church is such a big deal to Jesus, since the church was his idea, since the church is his bride, since he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How's your relationship with the church? Are you committed to a local church by connecting and growing and investing in that local church? Or are you just coming and listening to a sermon and not getting involved? Eternity's coming. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How are you doing with these priorities? The second blunder this guy had made was that he was rich toward himself and not towards God. He said, I got a ton of wealth that's gonna last me the rest of my days, so I'm gonna relax. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry, right? The American dream. I'm gonna make a ton of money, right? And then I'm gonna just Early retirement, I'm just gonna relax and do whatever I wanna do the rest of my life. And God says, you're a fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. And so as this guy is living for himself, all of a sudden, he falls over dead. Party's over. Now, how did Jesus end this parable? Look at verse 21. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so our time on earth, when it's over, all of us in this room, all of us watching in our living rooms, all of us are gonna leave one of two legacies. We're either gonna leave the legacy of laying up treasure for ourselves, or we're gonna leave the legacy of being rich toward God. And so in light of that, we should practice this. Honor the Lord. First place, he gets it, in every area, including our wealth. In that agricultural society, it was produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and then your vats will be bursting with new wine. The principle we can pull from this passage is we gotta give God our first and our best our first fruits and not our leftovers. And you say, Pastor, if I lived like that, I wouldn't be able to make it. I wouldn't be able to eat. Well, look at what Jesus said. Give, and it will be given to you. This is what we forget. Listen, it's faith. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so when we give, 
when we give God our time, when we give God our talents, when we give God our treasure, what happens is that he gives back to us abundantly. Listen to this. When we tithe, when we follow the principle of the tithe and we give God that first 10% off the top, what does he do? He opens the windows of heaven, Malachi 3, and pours out a blessing that we're not even able to contain it. Sometimes it's material blessings, sometimes it's spiritual blessings, but all the time it comes from a father who knows how to take real good of his kids. But it's a step and a walk and a life of faith. If you're stingy, with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. If you're generous, the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. And somebody says, well, that tithing thing, that's, that's Old Testament. Well, guess what? Jesus told the Pharisees in the Gospels, you should be tithing. Well, he's talking to Jews under the law. Wait a minute. Most of what Jesus said was spoken to Jews under the law. Are we gonna disregard everything Jesus said? No, there's a principle here. And by the way, the principle of tithing predates the law of Moses by 430 years because Abraham tithed to the man who was a type of Jesus Christ, Melchizedek. Put God first, honor him. Eternity is coming. And so in summary, since our lives are a mist, live a life of love and not judgment. Live in the light of eternity. Live a life of obedience to God's will. Focus on what's truly important in life and be rich toward God. Listen to this, not to be saved, but because we're saved, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone.